When I became a parent, I realized that being a parent is probably the most thankless job in the world. Um, I'm sure being a mom is uh, probably even maybe more so than it for being a dad, being this thankless job. And so several years ago, after I became a parent, I decided I needed to go out of my way to say thanks to my mom. And so I um, have this continual thing of anytime my kids do something that's horrible or anytime just being a parent's hard, I go out of my way to say thank you to my mom. So I've had conversations like this. I've said, Mom, thank you for changing my diapers. I've said, Mom, thank you for getting up with me in the middle of the night. Thank you for helping teach me to walk, for, um, for reading to me, for helping pay for college, for um, not killing me. You know, like I've, I've thanked her for a lot of those types of things. But if you were like me, you need to not just say thank you to your mom, especially on Mother's Day, but every day, but you need to ask for some forgiveness. And so today I'm starting a new thing. It's mom, will you forgive me for, and I would encourage other people to do the same thing. And yours may be different than these, but here's a couple of mine. So mom, um, forgive me for getting sent to the principal's office on the first day of school for hitting someone with a two by four. Um, all of these actually did happen, by the way. Um, Mom, forgive me for spray painting the neighbor's house. <laughs> Mom, um, forgive me for what we did to the family room couch. We, would, we had a couch that made up to a bed, and so we'd make the bed out, and then we'd go stand in the kitchen, and we'd run, and we'd jump from the step over the back of the couch and land on the couch that makes out to a bed. You know, we'd land on the bed part, and so it got flattened. Um, so forgive me for breaking the couch. Forgive me for repaying you for taking me to see the Fraggle Rock movie and buying me Twizzlers to come home and sit in a nice living room that nobody goes into, really, except for like once, twice a year, and throw up all over the couch. That one wasn't very good. And then this one, um, my, my probably second or third grade uh, parent-teacher conference, my mom takes me there, and I go play out on the playground. And I'm just having a good old time playing on the playground. And I know I have to go to the bathroom, but I'm having fun playing, so I kind of make that poor mistake of judging how long it's going to take me to get into the bathroom before I have to go. And so, Mom, forgive me for the parent-teacher conference having to end because I pooped my pants. So, <laughs> I was old enough to know better than that one. But, but again, I think everybody, you know, it's Mother's Day. We should say thank you to our moms. We should ask for forgiveness to our moms and dads for all the horrible things that we put them through. Um, but I feel like I've just painted myself in this horrible light, so now I need to switch it over and make myself the hero of a story, right? So, so let me tell you a story of what happened between me and my mom not that many, it was probably two years ago or so. We were um, in Hilton Head for vacation. It was, was it two, how many years ago was it? Five years ago. <laughs> Time flies when you're having fun, right? So, so we're on vacation somewhere between two and five years ago. And we're in Hilton Head, and so Dane, our oldest, went, and he took a couple buddies, and, and Sarah and I and our kids, and so we're all there, we're having a good old time, and we decide we're going to go see fireworks. So we go downtown area, and there's just people everywhere. And we decide we're going to kind of go all the way down to, like, the bay dock area so we can see it over the water, and so we're down in the fireworks. Well, then, as the fireworks are ending, the finale is going off, and we start to think, like, there are so many people. We have to, like, go all the way over here to go down, to go all the way back over to here. And so as the fireworks end and we're leaving, we're cutting through and, and, and somebody opens up this gate that's locked. And so they open up this gate and tons of people just go flying through the gate, like they're scattering and trying to get out of there, right? 
Well, what happens is they let you through this gate and then they closed it back up, but they let you into an enclosed parking lot with like an eight-foot privacy fence. So, you know, Dane and his buddies, no big deal. They just go jump the fence. And then um, I grab like our younger kids. I'm throwing them over the fence to, to Dane and his buddies and they're catching them. And, and then Sarah's wearing a dress so she doesn't really care. She just jumps over the fence and... And my dad thinks he's younger than he is, so he just jumps over the fence. So then I jump over the fence, and I look back at my mom sitting there, and my mom is wise. Um, and she says, I'm in my 60s. Do you know the last time I climbed a fence? This is not happening. It's not that crucial for me to get there that quickly. I'll just figure another way out. So there we are, and I see my mom sitting on the other side thinking through all of this stuff that I've put her through, and I was like, I can't just leave my mom on the other side. So I'm here, my mom's here, but I come back to her knowing that now it's my job to take her back to where we just were. And I tell you that because, number one, I want to make myself look a lot better after I made myself the poop and pants Dennis the Menace kid down the street, you know? So, but I also tell you that because where we are in the story, we've been going through the whole story of the Bible, we started in January, and we're going to wrap it up today, and we're talking about Jesus coming back, and in no way am I saying I'm like Jesus, just a a little bit, no, I'm just joking, Um, but I went back for my mom, and today what we're talking about is the fact that Jesus will one day come back for his followers, and so that's what we're we're really talking about today. and again, it was not that long ago I was talking to a friend who goes to another church and who, who, who says that they're a follower of Christ, and, and they said, you know, we feel like we're really smart. Like, we know a lot about finances, we're do, we do well in our career, like, we're smart people, but we don't really feel like we really understand the Bible. And so I was like, well, that's crazy you say that. We're actually, as a church, getting ready to go through the story of the Bible. And so here's the story of the Bible in six pictures so you can know the story. And so God creates everything, and then man falls. And then everything's talking about that one day something's going to happen to make it better. And what's going to happen is that Jesus is going to come. He's going to live this perfect life of faith, hope, and love. And he's going to die on a cross. He's going to rise again. And then, and then he's going to give the Holy Spirit. And that's going to point forward to the fact that people are going to create the church and that all this stuff's going to happen, but it's pointing forward to something else, and that's that one day he's coming back. And they were with me for the whole thing. They're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I got to the sixth picture, and she looks at me. She goes, does the Bible really say that? And I was like, yeah, yeah, the Bible says that. And um, as I was studying this week, I know that the Bible says that, but as I was studying this week, I was almost surprised again of how much of a key thing about um, Jesus that this is, is that one day he'll come back. And so by no means exhaustive, but this topic of Jesus coming back is in the book of Matthew and Mark and Luke and First and Second Thessalonians and Second Timothy and Second Peter and First John and the whole book of Revelation pretty much. And so it's this topic that's throughout the Bible that one day Jesus is going to come back. And it, um, today, we are going to just scratch the surface. It's this huge subject, but we're going to try to scratch the surface on it. And to do that, we're going to use 1 Thessalonians. So if you have a Bible, you can flip open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we're going to read 4.13 through 5.11. But before we do, I want to give a quick background into 1 Thessalonians just to make sure we're kind of on the same page even with what we're going to talk about. So in the book of Acts, when the church is starting to grow, Paul and Silas, they go to a place called Thessalonica, and they preach in a temple, and a bunch of people begin to follow Jesus. 
But persecution, tribulation happens like immediately. And so the people of Thessalonica are like, we need to get Paul and Silas out of here. They've, they've gone through a lot. Let's get them out of here quickly. So what happens is you have this really new church. And they're trying to figure out how to be a church on their own because Paul and Silas leave. So not long after, Timothy is get sent by Paul to go back into the area and to kind of, he's supposed to, um, and to uh, exhort them and encourage them and kind of, kind of check on them, you know, make sure that they're doing well because persecution is coming and, and Paul's worried about them. So, but when they get there, what they find is that the people in Thessalonica are actually doing really well. And, but they have some questions, and the biggest question that it seems like they have, according to the first Thessalonians, is actually about Jesus coming back. And I think it's this subject that's such a key part of what the Bible teaches, but it's probably one of the least understood things. Like, I think a lot of churches don't even talk about that, because it's this weird thing, and like, you get into all these terms, and it's, it's hard to know kind of how to teach this without sounding scary, you know? So, so that's, um, a little bit about 1 Thessalonians. So um, Timothy comes back to Paul, and Paul writes this letter to tell them and to encourage them. But their questions that they have, they're not so much like, um, will it happen? How will it happen? When will it happen? But it's really more about, okay, what about people who've died? Like, let's say somebody's died and they've been put in a tomb. What's going to happen to them when Jesus comes back? And so that's really the topic of the question. So, but what, what he, as he describes it, he actually explains a whole lot more than just um, answering their question. So, again, if you have your Bible, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13, and we're going to read through verse 5, 11. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, he means who have died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of a trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for the day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Let's pray.
God, I um, know that this is a topic that can be hard. I know that this is a topic that can be misunderstood, that can be controversial. It's a topic that people can debate. And uh, so, God, I just pray that you will give me the words to do an accurate representation of your word. And I pray that, um, again, as I pray often, that this wouldn't just be something that we learn, but something that you uh, bring to our hearts and you teach us the ramifications of what it is that we're talking about today. Again, I thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the midst of this, again, he's answering the question of what happens to people who've already died. But, in the, but it's clear in this, the first thing that, he, that Paul's kind of saying is, hey, listen, one day Jesus will come back. And so there's several spots in this. It says the word will. It says um, God will bring with him those people, for the Lord will descend. So we will always be with the Lord. And so it seems to me that, that, that Paul is very certain that this is going to take place, that someday Jesus is going to come back. And the early church felt that way, and Jesus himself felt that way and talked about him coming back. And so um, it says it several times, but like I said before, it's, it's a foundational part of our faith. And it really goes all the way back. If you remember and you were here when we started talking about the fall of man, Genesis chapter 3.15. And after the, um, the enemy causes, uh, challenges and encourages Adam and Eve to sin, and they do sin, and then there's this verse that says that, that you will um, bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. And when Jesus dies on the cross, he rises again. He kind of becomes the, this victorious king. But there's still, if you look around the world, there's still awful, awful pain. But when Jesus comes back, what's going to happen is all that's going to be done. And Jesus will give the final blow to the serpent. And so even Jesus coming back, it shows what happens, but it takes it all the way back to Genesis chapter 3.15. From the very beginning of the Bible to the very end of the Bible, there's this common theme that Jesus will come back and he will be victorious. You also can take it all the way back to when we were talking about the kings and we were talking about King David and then one day there's going to be a king from the line of David that will reign forever and it comes all the way back to Jesus who's going to reign forever and again he already is reigning but we can see that there is a lot of other things going on but when Jesus comes back it will be the final thing of him truly reigning forever. And, that, and then you can always look all the way back to the, to the promise made to Abraham to give them land well, when the, for those of us who are in Christ, when Jesus comes back, he's going to take us to heaven to be with him, and he's giving us this new land. And so, again, all of these promises that you see that God has made all through the Old Testament become fulfilled when Jesus comes back, and they become finally fully fulfilled. But again, it says that he will come back. The second thing that I see as I read through this text is that his coming back should fill us with hope. For those of us who are in Christ, who have a relationship with him, this should be this thing of hope, not this scary thing. And I, I say that because he says several times, encourage one another with these things. And he says, and I, you, you will be brought back and you will be with me forever. And so it's not only that it will happen, but that it should be good news. You know, I think that many of us have this misunderstanding of heaven. It's like, in heaven, every food that I really like is going to be there, so it's just going to be pizza everywhere. There's going to be dessert pizza, there's going to be buffalo chicken pizza, there's going to be Hawaiian pizza, pepperoni, it's just all pizza. You know, and I think, you know, I really love to sit by the pool, and so there's going to be pools, I'm just going to be sitting there getting, getting a tan, and like, but I think we had this misunderstanding of what heaven's really about. 
And we desire to be there oftentimes for the wrong reasons because we think, well, it's just going to be this great place where I get to do whatever I want to do and it's just going to be fun. But I don't think the Bible really teaches that. I think it's really more about being in God's presence. And I might get a tan, but it will be from his holiness, not from the sun, you know? And But with this, when he comes back, it should fill us with hope. And it should fill us hope with whether we're alive right now or whether we're alive when he comes or whether we've already died and we're put in a tomb. Because it doesn't matter. If we've already been put in a tomb, we're going to rise with him. And so the, the beautiful thing is that this good news is for everyone who is in Christ. And in this, Jesus talks about this section. Jesus talks a lot about, um, he, he talks about there's good seeds and there's weeds. And as you're growing good seeds and the weeds grow up. But at the end is when he separates the weeds from the good seeds. You also see places where it talks about the separation of the shepherds and the goats. And in this text, it said, this is not going to be of coming wrath. So for those of us who are in Christ, this is good news that Jesus will come back because we will be with him. And it's when there'll be a separation from the people who don't know him with the people who do know him. And so for us, it's this really encouraging thing. It's this exciting thing. Um, and again, it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. But this, the thing I was thinking about as I was reading this is like, this is just grace. That this God creates people, and they want nothing to do with them. And then he comes in person, and they kill him. And this Jesus is still going to come back for his people. Just this amazing grace. That should fill us with this amazing, amazing hope. And I was thinking through, um, you know, in heaven there's going to be no more tears. There'll be no weeping. But when it talks about the separation from the goats and from the shepherds, it talks about a place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And it's just this amazing grace that it won't be for wrath. It will be to be with him forever. And so he's coming back, and it should be good news to us. And I was, um, you often hear about the trumpet sounding, okay? And my brother uh, was in band for not very long. I don't know if he got cut, like they just said, don't come back, or if he stopped, or if my parents and I, getting so sick of hearing him try to play a trumpet, were complained enough that he realized this is not for me. But my brother tried to play a trumpet, and it was the most awful sound that you can possibly hear. If someone does not know how to play a trumpet, it does not sound good. If they do, it sounds good, you know? Um, and when my brother played it, it didn't sound right. But the, but the Bible talks about oftentimes that when Jesus comes back, there'll be the sound of trumpets. And I was thinking about the sound of trumpets, but if you were here last week, we were talking about the book of Numbers. Well, in the book of Numbers, God makes the tent of meeting. It's this place where God's presence dwells. And God commanded Moses, here's, here's, make trumpets, and whenever it's time to come into the presence of God, blow the trumpets. And so the, the, the thing that the, what is so important about them blowing the trumpets, because when the trumpets blow, it's time to come into the presence of the Lord. And so when we hear those trumpets, like, now I'm going to tell you a quick story. A couple of years ago on Easter, Sarah and I were asleep with our windows open. And I, I, I hear trumpets sounding outside of our house. And I was like, uh-oh, it's, you know, <laughs> But it was just people who, from another church who were meeting at, at the park by our house. And so I was like, oh, okay. Um, but when we hear trumpets, what that is signifying is that God is calling his people into his presence. And it's this wonderful, beautiful thing. But, and I was thinking about this, too. 
when we talked through the Bible, we went through it so fast, and we skipped things that I wish we wouldn't have skipped. And one of the things that we didn't do a full sermon on is the flood. And so people probably know, if you've been in church long, you know about Noah and the flood, right? And Noah is declared a righteous man. And so God looks around, and he says that there's not one person other than Noah that's righteous. And because of that, he decides he's going to cause this massive flood that's going to wipe people out. So, so this flood comes, but he tells Noah, build an ark. So Noah builds an ark. And then he says, take your family, get in the ark. And then wrath comes. And I was thinking about it this week, that the, the Jesus coming back for his people is the equivalent of the ark and the flood. Because what God is going to do, for those of us who are in Christ, why this is such good news, he's going to gather us together not in the wood of an ark, but through the wood of the cross. And we are going to be rescued from coming wrath so that we can be with him forever. And, and as, I, you know, I, I, as I've been reading through the Bible and reading through the Old Testament, reading through the New Testament, there, there are so many hinges that hinge these two things together that we miss so often. But this should be good news to us because in a way we are going to be protected from a different kind of a flood because he's coming back for his people. So it should be very, very, very good news to us. He will come back. It's good news for us. And then when is he going to come back? It says he'll come back like a thief in the night. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm a thief, come, come, come break into your house, I'm not going to be like, okay, it's 12 o'clock. They're probably in bed. Like, I'm going to wait till I can tell the lights have been turned off, the TV's been turned off, and you're not ready. So he says that he's going to come like a thief in the night, and he says, it, you don't, um, I don't need to talk about the times. You, he says, um, times and season, I don't need to write to you because they understand that he's going to come back when he doesn't expect it. I don't know if you have ever paid attention to this, but there are multiple people who have claimed Jesus is coming back on December 22nd of 1994. And like, guess what? He didn't come back. And they keep making new dates and keep predicting it. But the Bible says that no one knows. It even says that the angels don't know when he's coming back. And so my challenge and encouragement is if I or anyone else ever says, this is the day, be a little skeptical because the Bible says that no one's going to know the day. He's going to come back like a thief in the night. Not even the angels know. Um, but listen to this. The disciples thought that Jesus was coming back in their lifetime, and that was 2,000 years ago, roughly. He didn't come back. And I think that we can, you know, generation after generation has thought, well, he's going to come back while we're alive probably. And he just keeps not coming back. And we can look at it and be like, you know what? He hasn't come back all of this time. Is he really coming back? And I think that what happens is, is we misunderstand why he hasn't come back yet. I was reading through 2 Peter uh, chapter 3. And it says um, that the Lord is not slow in fulfilling his promises. But he desires that all people repent and come to know him. And so the reason that this, it's grace, the fact that he has not already come back is because he's giving ample time for us to see who he is and to repent. And again, the fact that this gracious God creates everything, this gracious God forgives and shows um, grace and consequences after the boundaries are broken, this, this God that continues to give grace and take his people out of slavery, this God who sends his son who dies on a cross, this God who, who, who does all of these things and he's still going to come back for the people that killed him, is grace. And this amazing thing to me is that he's allowed so much time to go by because it is his desire that people will repent. And to me, it just shows a huge aspect of his grace. 
Now with that, um, when is it going to happen? It's going to be like a thief in the night, but if, but if you paid attention, it gives some kind of hints. It says there will be sudden destruction. Other place in the Bible, it talks about there will be, um, there'll be nation against nation. There'll be wars and rumors of wars. There'll be kingdom against kingdom. There'll be tribulation. And so bad news. It's going to get a lot worse before he comes back. And I think that we can look around and we can say, it's already really bad. I think it's going to get worse. And I think my challenge to us with that is, I think so many of us think, well, if we could just pass this social reform, if this person could be in the White House, if, if this could happen, if, if the church would really do this, or if, and we can come up with all of these things, if this would just happen, then it's going to be okay. But I think it's going to get worse until he comes back. And, but we are not without hope, remember? Because why is he coming back? He's coming back to take us to be with him. He's coming back to rescue us from that wrath. And so, again, remember, he's not slow in fulfilling his promises. The fact that he has not come back yet, he's allowing time to go by because he wants to give people opportunity to repent. But then when, when stuff gets real, when it gets real bad, when there's wars and rumors and wars and all this different stuff, you know what it says? That he's going to cut that time period short. And again, you see this grace that if I'm God and the people did what has happened all throughout history, I'm not cutting that part short. I'm going to come back quick and I'm going to let that period of crazy, hard destruction last a long time. But you see the grace of God even in that. That he gives ample time for people to repent. And then when the stuff is bad, when it's destruction, when there's wars and rumors of wars, he's going to cut that period of time short. You see this amazing grace in the fact of the fact that he is coming back and when he's coming back. But oftentimes I think that we put our trust in all of the wrong things. We trust that if, if this person gets in the White House or if this person gets kicked out of the White House or, or you know, we, we put all of these things and we trust in so many different things rather than trusting in the Lord. And I was reminded of the verse this week that it says, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we put our trust in the name of the Lord. And I think for us, what we need to realize is that he is coming back and it's good news for us and we need to put our trust in him and nothing else. Um... I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. So again, today, we've talked about the fact that he, he will come back. We've talked about the fact that um, it's good news for those of us who are in Christ. We've talked about the time period of when he might come back. Um, so here's my question for you and for me. How do we respond to that? I think that there's primarily three responses we can have. The first one is think, we've got plenty of time plenty of time. He hasn't come back for thousands of years, so he's probably not coming back today, tomorrow, probably not next month. It's probably going to be a while. Well, I want to tell you a story about a guy that one time watched our house while Sarah and I were on vacation. I won't tell you his name. I'll call him Bob. Bob, what? Not, not Bob. Different Bob. <laughs> Don't think your dad did this stuff, okay? So we'll call him Bob is watching our house, and we tell him, hey, we'll be home about six o'clock. Well, what happens is, is I wake up in the morning, and I'm ready to go. So I'm like, wait, why, are we, why am I waiting until 8 to leave? I'm, it's 6 o'clock. I'm already awake. Let's go. Let's just drive home. So we hop in the car. We drive home, and 
I may or may not, but definitely have a tendency to go a little faster than I should on the highway. And so we get home about three hours earlier than what he thinks. So we get home, it might be two hours, let's say two hours. We get home at four, he's expecting us at six. Every patio furniture chair that we own is in the house. All of the blinds and curtains are closed. Every dish, I'm, I, don't, and I don't think I'm exaggerating, every dish we own is in the sink. <laughs> there is a cup of cigarette butts on the front porch. There's a cup of cigarette butts on the back deck. He, he either didn't wash his own dishes for the week and smoked a whole lot of cigarettes, or he had a massive party in our house. Um, we came home, and you know, it's like, what do you say? So I went, walked right in, and I started washing dishes. And this guy that we call Bob comes over and says, I, I wasn't expecting you guys home so soon, and um, I can take care of that. And all I said is, apparently not. And you could just see this crushing blow on him. But he thought he had more time. But you know what happened? Sarah started cleaning. I started cleaning. This guy we'll call Bob's cleaning. It took way more than two hours to clean it up. And when we think, I got plenty of time, we get into such a relaxed mode that we actually don't even budget for enough time that we actually do need. And so our response to the fact that Jesus is coming back one day is it, I got plenty of time. And if that's the mode that we're in, we may very well come, he may come back and we may find ourselves thinking, I wasn't expecting you yet. And he may find that we have thrown a party through this life that he's given us. He's given, God gave us life to use for his purposes and, and he may come back and realize that we're using this life that he gave us for his purposes for our own purposes. We may realize that this person that we let stay in our home to watch our home has decided to use it like the Playboy Mansion or something, you know? But will we be ready? One response is that we think we got plenty of time. A second response is this. Can you imagine if this guy we call Bob, let's say he, he put the uh, Find My iPhone app on his phone that showed my phone, and he's watching. He's like, oh, looks like they're in Kentucky. I th okay, I got some time. They're in Kentucky. And then he's like, oh, looks like they're just passing through Cincinnati. And the entire time he's analyzing, when is he going to be back? And what's it going to look like when he gets back? And he's thinking through the scenarios of if the house isn't clean and if it's this. And, and I think that the second response that oftentimes people have is they worry about all the wrong things. They're, the subject of Jesus coming back is a subject of a vast debate. There's terms that people throw out that a lot of people don't know what they're talking about. And they use terms like premillennialism or postmillennialism <laughs> or amillennialism. And all that deals with, in Revelation, it talks about a thousand-year period. And people get in these vast debates about when is Jesus coming back and will it be here, will it be here? And it's like, doesn't it say that he's going to come like a thief in the night? And yet, these people are analyzing data. Not to say that we shouldn't do that, but they're, they're analyzing the data so much 
There's terms like the second coming, the day of the Lord, the final judgment, the coming wrath, the rapture, the second death. And, and, the, and it talks about the beast and the mark of the beast and the man of lawlessness. And you read all these different terms. And I think that there are people that know, okay, he's going to come back and I'm going to try to figure it all out. And they turn into like a little scientist with their little microscope and they're trying to figure everything out. And they're putting things back and forth in beakers, trying to figure it out. But you know what happens if you spend too much time trying to figure it out? When, you come, when he comes back, you're still not ready. And I think that there are so many people that do the same thing with the Bible. They're reading this, but they're trying to figure it out. They're trying to put this into here rather than this go to here. And so he's coming back. It should be good news for those of us who are followers of his. We don't know the timing. And how are we going to respond? Is it going to be responding? We got plenty of time. Is it going to be responding through trying to figure it out and nail all the facts down and spending time worrying about all of the wrong things? Or are we going to simply be ready? Are we going to live now like he's already back? There's a portion in Scripture that says, what you've done to the least of these, you've done unto me. When Jesus comes back, will he find us treating the least of these like they are Jesus himself? Um, when we say the Lord's Prayer, we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are we as followers going to be ready and to live now like we will then? Um, are we going to begin to truly reject the lies of the enemy? Are we going to live with urgency that there are a lot of people who do not know who this Jesus is? We are not without hope, but there are a lot of people who are going through life without hope. The reason why it is so important for people to eat, drink, and be merry in this life is because this is all they have. But for those of us who have more than this life, we should have so much hope beyond now that what happens now is, is, is really nothing. So my question again is, is, as Scripture, as we close out the story of the Bible, he will come back. It's good news for those of us who are followers of Christ. We don't exactly know when, but how are we going to respond? Are we going to be ready, or are we going to think we got plenty of time, or are we going to try to figure the details out instead? You know, going back to that story of me being the amazing son rescuing my mom from the eight-foot fence, uh, from my mom's perspective, her son came back for her. And the crazy and amazing thing for us is that God's son will come back for us. He, comes, he doesn't come back for everybody fully, though. He comes back for those who are his children. So how will you respond to that? And I want to close with this. Um, today's Mother's Day. I think Mother's Day can be a hard day for a lot of people. There's people whose mom is gone. There's people who didn't have the relationship with their mom they wanted. There's people who have lost children. There's, in this a room this size, there may be people who've had an abortion. And on Mother's Day, they think through that. So I, I want to acknowledge that I think Mother's Day can be this very, very, very difficult day for a lot of people. But I, in the same letter in Thessalonians, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. 
okay? But you know what Paul says is that while we were among you, we were like a nursing mother caring for our children. And so the good news for you is not only is one day that Jesus is going to come back for his people, but the really good news is this, is Paul said, imitate me and you'll imitate Christ. And he says that what he did was he, that Christ loved his kids like a nursing mother. And so there is a God who wants to love you like a nursing mother. He's not just coming back for you someday, but he wants to here and now love you and hold you like a nursing mother. And I think, um, for those of you who know anything about the book and the movie The Shack, there's this controversy because in the, in the book and the movie, God is, dis- is, is portrayed as a woman. But Scripture shows that Jesus cares for us like a loving nursing mother. And so my hope for you and for me today is not just this uh, coming excitement of the fact that one day he's coming back, but this knowledge that Jesus, even now, wants to hold us and love us like a nursing mother. And again, it's grace. It's grace that he creates us. It's grace that even after we fall, he displays love and consequences. It's grace that he sends his son. It's grace that even after we kill his son, that he's going to love us like a nursing mother. And it's grace that one day he will come back for us and we will be with him forever. My prayer is that today that you do not miss out on the beautiful picture of his grace. Father God, I am so thankful so thankful that you gave me a wonderful mother and father. But God, I am even more thankful that you have displayed to me love of a father and love of a mother that even far outweighs them. And your word says if a, if a father could give good gifts, how much more could God? And God, my prayer for today is that people all across this room, myself included, that we would be overwhelmed by the fact that you love us and that you're coming back for us. God, I pray that that will not be a scary thing to us. That will not produce in us this unrest and this nervousness, but it will produce in us this amazing, amazing hope. God, thank you for your grace. And God, thank you that your word teaches that you will come back for us. In Jesus' name.